Revelation, uh, as John is addressing the different churches. It's one of the churches there. And so it's very powerful to be with a, a body of believers worshiping. And, and I was struck by the passion of their worship. And the pastors, I got with the pastors afterwards and, and I, I said, man, your worship was so powerful. And they said, really? They were like, actually, it was kind of lame this morning. <laughs> and they were like, you know, a lot of people had been gone for, uh, the pastor had been gone for almost two months and they were just kind of pulling things back together. And they said, yeah, normally it's, it's much more powerful. In fact, it's common for, for a third to half the people to fall under the power. Uh, the Holy Spirit just comes in such a powerful way. And uh, we're talking about uh, a congregation in a country that is 99.8% Muslim for, uh, for people, for Turkish people to become Christian normally means losing their job, uh, losing their family, their family disowns them. Uh, it is not illegal to convert in Turkey as it is in many of the Muslim nations. But the cost uh, for serving the Lord uh, is so high, and every Sunday, every every day they have they have services every day. People walk in right off the street, and they're hungry. They give away a thousand Bibles a month, a thousand Bibles a month, just by setting them out. You can't hand something out, but if you have them sitting on the table and someone picks them up, that's legal. And so. Uh, I was just thinking that the, the hunger that is displayed by those fellow believers, our brothers and sisters, um, in part is part of the reason, if not a major part of the reason, why they can experience God on Sunday morning to a greater degree. Because they've paid a greater cost. Are you hearing me? Yeah. And there's a direct connection between how your heart the condition of your heart, the hunger in your heart when you come to church on Sunday morning and the amount of God that you experience. Do you realize that? God is not moved by need. Do you know that? If God was moved by need, there wouldn't be starving children All right, uh, in the world. God is moved... By compassion. Jesus was moved by compassion. God sees need. But they're, they're in, in the need, there has to be a hunger for Him. Does that make sense? And there has to be a, a, a desire to connect with Him. Not just for stuff, but a, a connection with Him. And so, I just encourage you, when you come to church, you know, as a church, <coughs> we are so blessed to live in a nation where it's easy to be Christian. And that's the biggest danger that we face. Because it's so easy. You can just kind of... It's the lowest common denominator experience if that's what you want. And I challenge you, church, uh, when you come on Sundays and every day when you open up the Scripture, when you enter into prayer, do so with a hungry heart. Do so realizing the significance of what you're called into. And you will experience more. Kalamazoo County needs more of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Our, our generation needs more of what God has to offer. People, and I, I need more, okay? People in our community need to experience God on a higher level. And if it's not us, if it's not the church of Jesus Christ that's going to uh, uh, bring that uh, greater measure in, then who is it? 
You know, so I encourage you to seek God with your whole heart. And, you know, you are seeking God, and I encourage you in that. I bless you in that. But I just felt an exhortation to to stir you up to encourage you anymore. All right. Well. You're welcome. <laughs> We've been uh, uh, going through the Sermon on the Mount series. Oop, there we go. Boom. And um, as uh, Aaron said, it's the Constitution of the Kingdom. We're just taking our time uh, looking through the uh, passages. Uh, unlike many of our uh, series, I have um, that are limited to a, a number of weeks. I just wanted to 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 not be rushed, and so. Uh, we're taking as much time as it, as it requires to uh, talk through the verses. And um, it's Jesus' vision statement of the kingdom. Um, and previously, Jesus had been contrasting kingdom living with the negative example of the hypocrite. So for the whole past section, last chapter or so, uh, he's constantly referring, don't pray like the hypocrites, don't fast like the hypocrites, going back and forth, uh, comparing um, uh, a disciple's life to that of the hypocrites. But now he changes, and this next section is a little different. He's no longer comparing his uh, disciples to the hypocrites. But in the, in the words of France, the uh, one commentary I'm using, it says he focuses on a more direct and positive presentation of a, the true disciple's attitude. Uh, the greater righteousness which is going to make the disciples more conspicuous among other men. All right? And so early on in the Sermon on the Mount, it talked about that uh, we were not... Uh, to have the righteousness of the Pharisees, but we actually had to exceed. We had to have a greater righteousness. And so he's going to go into a list of uh, behaviors or differences that demonstrate that, that greater righteousness. And the goal is that we become more conspicuous. It's early in the morning. How many people can say the word conspicuous? Conspicuous. Oh, very good. What does that mean? Obvious. Obvious. Yeah, very good. It means to stand out, right? And so kingdom character should make us stand out. Did Jesus stand out in His generation? Yeah. Everybody knew something was different. Who is this son of a carpenter? Now, who is this? Uh, what? You said that like the son of something else. <laughs> Maybe that's how they said it. I don't know. <laughs> so Jesus' character and the character of the kingdom should make us conspicuous. That means we shouldn't blend in with everyone else. It should make us stand out. That's, that's part of the goal. Kingdom distinction being different prevents kingdom extinction. Alright, kingdom distinction prevents kingdom extinction. And that's true on a personal level. In other words, if you don't live in a way that you are distinct, that your lifestyle is different from the lifestyle of those around you, because of your relationship with Jesus Christ, then what will happen is that the level of the kingdom, the influence of the kingdom, will grow less and less in your life until it's extinct. Alright, or in a society, uh, if the Christians don't live in a way that, that is conspicuous, that is obviously different, then the influence that we have will grow less and less. You know, just as I was saying, just two weeks ago, we were in, kind of us were in uh, this nation of Turkey that was once the, the center of Christianity, actually the center of Christianity for about a thousand years. 
The whole region was completely Christianized. And now there are virtually no Christians. Pastor said they estimate at most 5,000 Christians in the entire nation. 5,000. In Izmir, I mean in Istanbul itself, the population was uh, about 17 million. That is just in one city. And in the other city we visited, it was, it was about 4 million. And in the whole country, they only count 5,000 Christians that they know of. What happened? Or, or, I mean, all, everywhere you go, you find empty buildings that are now museums that used to be churches with paintings of Jesus. How could a whole region, a whole nation that was once filled with Christians uh, now be completely devoid of Christian, the Christian faith? And saints, it's happening in our country. All right? And it hap- it's happening in this generation. I, I see the influence being torn away. And the enemy has a very, very, uh, um, very uh, good strategy. The enemy is good at strategy and tearing down the influence. And what it takes the, to turn the tide is not a government program. The government will not change this. All right? Uh, no institution will change. Not even the church as an institution can change this. The only thing that can change whether or not Christianity continues in a decline in the amount of influence that we have in this generation or turns around and becomes become more and more influential is individuals. It's you. Everyone say me. me. It's up to me. It's up to me and Jesus. Yeah. Jesus and I. That's right. Because when when us as individuals say, I'm going to live conspicuous, I'm going to live kingdom character in a way that stands out, then it, help, then it makes a, a, a difference. Okay, so let's read the verse, uh, verse 19 through 24 that we're going to talk about. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So that's the verse that we're going to discuss this morning. Earlier, Jesus was contrasting earthly rewards that the hypocrites sought to the heavenly rewards that comes from the Father. And now he turns and starts talking about the difference between earthly treasures and heavenly treasures. So that's kind of the theme or the topic of Jesus's uh, uh, this part of the sermon. And what Jesus is doing is he's giving us, he's giving his disciples a kingdom perspective on materialism. Okay, um, and then he gives two illustrations regarding. Uh, the first one regarding our eyes and light, and the second regarding serving two masters. So the, the point of this part of the sermon, the topic, is uh, a kingdom, um, a perspective on materialism, and then he follows it with two examples, and we're going to look at both of those. But he's, he tells the disciples, he says, do not store up uh, or amass or reserve treasures on earth. 
Alright, that's literally what, what the word means. Is, is, that's what Jesus is saying. Don't do this. Don't, don't uh, reserve treasures on earth. But rather, store up or amass or reserve <coughs> treasures in heaven. Uh, earthly wealth is consumed. <laughs> Moths eat clothing. Now, how many have ever had a sport coat? And you find a hole in it eaten by a moth. I've actually had that, yeah. But we, thankfully, fabric, I think, comes treated or something. That doesn't happen so much anymore. Synthetic. <laughs> yes, most of our stuff is synthetic. <laughs> Moths don't eat plastic. <laughs> so, but they wear out, right? Everything wears out. And the, and the word rust in Scripture, uh, that the, the word that Jesus uses actually means eating. It, 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 and, and rust is actually uh, a word chosen that kind of describes the process of, of just falling apart. Um, uh, and then the word destroy means to render unapparent, uh, to consume, to disappear, uh, to corrupt, disfigure, perish, to vanish away. So Jesus is talking about our stuff and everything that's connected with the, this life. Okay, the stuff in this building, it's great. Praise God for, we have a building that has heating and air conditioning. We can meet as a, as a, as a uh, congregation. But you know, eventually it's going to fall apart. It's just going to be rubbish. And no matter how nice your car is, you know, it's only a, a number of years before it's sitting in the junk pile or it's, it's melted down and, and, and remade. And that's just the nature of, of the stuff of this world. You know, or thieves, Break in and steal. I know. It just happens that this week my camper got stolen. <clears throat> I know. I pulled up. It par- I park it in the parking lot here. It's been parked there in this parking lot for years. And it's a nice camper. It was the biggest pop-up you could get. Two king-size bed, a dinette, kitchen, the whole nine yards. <clears throat> and I parked my motorcycle and I look back there and the camper's not there. I thought, well, where did I put the camper? <laughs> and the little wheel stop is sitting there and the board you, you set the thing on. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's just gone. And I'm like, wow. Someone stole my camper. This is ridiculous. <clears throat> so everything on earth uh, is, 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 you know, eventually it, it's going to go away. In one way or another, um, you know, and if it, it if it doesn't break down and go away, you will. <laughs> Some things may outlast you, but you know, you're you're going to break down and not be able to continue uh, using it. Heavenly treasure is different; it's impervious to natural decay and death, and it's the only treasure that's safe from every form of theft. No one can sneak into the parking lot at night and, and chain their, your heavenly treasure to the back of their pickup and drive away with it. You know, Bernie Madoff cannot figure out a way to swindle uh, the, the stock that you have in heaven. Alright? It's really, really safe. Heavenly treasure is safe. <clears throat> so, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, if you've been paying attention and listening, if you've been able to hear the previous ones, there's a major theme throughout the whole sermon, uh, an interplay between on earth uh, and, and in heaven. Uh, right? Thy kingdom come on earth. Thy, will be, thy kingdom come on earth as it is 
in heaven. Yep, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know? uh, and so there's this <coughs> interplay, and it actually starts earlier in the sermon than that, between on earth and heaven. So it's really important to understand that the term in heaven does not mean after death. And that's how most people understand this passage. That if uh, we store up heavenly treasures, well that means if we do good things and we give offerings or whatever, when we get to heaven, then we'll be blessed. And that's true and the Bible teaches that other places in the Bible. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. Because when He says in heaven, He's not talking about after death, but rather with God. In other words, your treasure with God. Your treasure in the heavenly realm. Your treasure, your account with your Father in heaven is something that is impervious to decay and break down and is impossible to be stolen or to perish. Okay? He's not merely talking about the afterlife. He's talking about heavenly treasures that we have available to us here and now. So let's think about this for a minute. And uh, pull up the next point. He's contrasting our relationship with material goods, stuff connected to this earth, and our relationship with things heavenly. So, if this is not talking about what's going to happen after death, but is actually talking about what is ours in in heavenly places. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, earlier when I talked about uh, uh, Jesus said your reward with God um, when he was comparing the rewards of the hypocrites and uh, the and our reward by being righteous is with God who dwells in the secret place. And the idea there was. It was in God's. It was in God's view. All right. It was your reward was something that, that that was that God was like He had next to Him, ready to give you. All right. So that's the idea of treasures that are stored up in your account, in your heavenly bank account, and you don't tap into that bank account by dying. All right. How do you tap? How do you think you tap into that bank account? What did Jesus say? Blank and you shall receive. Ask! Ask! It's an easy word. It's only three letters. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Alright? So, we store up treasures by living right and by by living with the right frame of mind we're going to talk about how that happens but Jesus is 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 comparing our relationship with natural treasures and with heavenly treasures and these treasures this this wealth this amassing of heavenly treasures is something that we can access now all right it's not earthly now think about the effect of having earthly treasure all right if i could pull out my my iPhone... I don't have an iPhone, thank God. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry. Just teasing those eye people. Alright. I pulled out my Android device. <clears throat> okay, and I whipped over here to my PayPal app. Boom. 
and I happen to have your, if you signed up for PayPal and you have an account, I could just pop, I could pop a million dollars into your account. Just like that. <laughs> so, it, would it change your life if you had a million dollars? Yeah, yeah. It changed my life too. <laughs> That'd be good. <laughs> Alright. Would people know? Would, would it be obvious? Would it be conspicuous? Be, would you be driving a nicer car? No, you don't think so? I think you might. So if you ever, people will get, win a million dollars. I remember once reading a story, somebody won a million dollars, and they were like, yeah, I'm gonna buy a cow. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> like that person has no idea how much a million dollars is. You don't buy a cow, you buy a cow farm, right? <clears throat> and you hire people to raise cows and you turn that million into a billion. Um, so just like natural wealth will change your lifestyle, okay, it will affect the natural aspects of your life. Spiritual wealth has that same effect. Okay? When someone is wealthy, uh, it... it, it it, it, their whole lifestyle reflects that wealthiness. The, the things that we wouldn't even dream of be doing, you know, they just do in the drop of a hat. They don't have to think about, uh, oh, it's, you know, the airfare is, is $1,400. I can only afford 1000 To them, they're like, oh, what's business class? 24 Great. Okay? It changes the day-to-day routine. Well, in the same aspect, and Jesus, what Jesus is wanting us to comprehend, and He's using a natural, uh, something we're familiar with, natural wealth, to teach us something about spiritual wealth. And He's saying there's spiritual wealth that you need to have on hand. You need revenue in your heavenly bank account. Heavenly revenue. So that you can access it. So that when you walk into a room, you come across as someone who is wealthy in the spirit. Alright? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you ever read that book, it's about understanding how to live uh, uh, like someone who is wealthy. And that actually changes the way you live and actually enables you to, to earn wealth. Alright? I was talking with someone uh, last night and uh, they, they read a book about overcoming a poverty mentality. And one of the tips was to go out and buy something. Don't buy the cheapest thing. But just on purpose, intentionally, buy something. Buy the best version that you can possibly afford. Just to teach you what it's like to have something that's really valuable. And so they're, they're going out and they're going to buy a really a top-of-the-line stove. You know, so that they can, they can have something that's really well-made. And it changes the way you think about yourself when you have something that's really the best. All right? And that is true in the natural, but that's also true in the spirit. And that Jesus wants you to be wealthy spiritually so that whenever you have a spiritual need, there's no hesitation that you go to the spiritual ATM and you just say, in Jesus' name, I withdraw healing. In Jesus' name, I withdraw salvation for this person I'm talking to. In Jesus' name, I withdraw hope. Because I'm feeling hopeless. Does this make sense? Okay, it's amassing spiritual wealth. That's what Jesus is talking about. And it's something that we can access uh, for ourselves right now. 
so how can we obey this? Uh, two commands. Don't lay up for yourself treasure on earth and lay up for yourself hev- heavenly treasure. Does it mean we don't save a retirement? No. Does it mean that we have to take a vow of poverty? No. Because that's not really what he's talking about. He's not talking about giving all your money away. He's talking about having a godly, a kingdom perspective on materialism and a kingdom perspective on heavenly riches. And then he gets to the heart of the issue in verse 21. He says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also the heart of the issue. (laughs) Didn't mean to say it that way. but (laughs) France says, It's not so much the disciples' wealth that Jesus is concerned about as... Uh, with his loyalty, as verse 24 will make explicit. Materialism is in direct conflict with loyalty to God. And the danger of amassing possessions is that treasure will command the disciples' loyalty. Material affluence will breed materialism. And so it's loyalty. Jesus is challenging our loyalty. He's challenging the disciples' the, uh, loyalty. And concerning uh, uh, material goods. But what's at issue is where is the loyalty in our hearts. Alright? Our culture is really consumed. This, this, this passage is, is so applicable to our culture. We are so consumed with consumerism that we don't even know it. We're submerged in a culture that it, uh, is obsessed with stuff. Alright? And, and I'm telling you, and this applies to myself as well as every American. We just we don't even realize. You can't realize because we're in the bubble. Everything is about stuff. And even if we try to live simply, we're still so much of our lives is consumed with stuff. And and Jesus is challenging that obsession. And if it was a thing that he had to challenge in the first century, how much more is it today when we have such an abundance of things? And and such easy access to everything. And so the challenge that Jesus is presenting is, can we not only find God in the midst of all of our stuff, but can we actually make our relationship with God in heavenly matters more important than anything else that competes for our attention? So that's the challenge. We need to find God and we need to make our relationship with Him more important than everything. Alright? It's really important that we understand that it's not only wealthy people that get caught in this trap. Alright? A poor person can be just as materialistic and obsessed with possessions he or she doesn't have as a rich person can be with the things that he or she does have. So no, no matter where you are on the scale of rich or poor, it's an issue that all of us struggle with. Alright? And, and all of us in the room, compared to the people of the world, are wealthy. Uh, the poorest American is in the top uh, 10% of the wealthiest people in the world. Alright? How much more if we have a good paying job here? So what's at issue is not our stuff. Uh, what's at stake is our heart. And that's what Jesus is talking about. And he gives two illustrations. I'm going to try to go through these in the three minutes I have left. <laughs> okay, the lamp of your body is your eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that light? And we read that and go, what? But Jesus was talking about stuff and materialism and light and eyes. Well, it's hard for us to make sense to this, but it actually fits in. And and Jesus' listeners would have known exactly what he was talking about. Because the the words that he used 
were, were commonly used in discussions about um, uh, possessions and material things. A good eye uh, literally means single or clear, free from distractions, not obstructed with stuff. Okay, Having a single priority. And so it was healthy, it was wholesome. And so Jesus is saying if your eye is good, if it's focused on that single priority of, of, of heavenly things, of, of the kingdom of God, and the term evil eye was uh, a Jewish expression that referred to someone who was, jealous, uh, who was jealous, stingy, or selfish. You know, kind of like the expression if I were to say, oh, Uncle, Uncle Bill, he's a real Scrooge. Everybody knows what that means. All right? Everybody knows what the word Scrooge means. But if you interpret it literally, you go, how does that apply to materialism? Well, it applies because it was a common expression. Evil eye in Jesus' day was a common expression for someone who was stingy. So when he says if you have an evil eye, uh, it, your whole body uh, will be dark. People understood that that was um, connected to a person's attitude about um, generosity and giving. It made sense to them. And also your eye, what you look with, but also what you look at, that lights up your whole life. Okay? What, what are you focusing on? What do you, what do you look at? What, is, what are you looking for? Okay? That's the idea. And he's challenging that if our eyes are single, if we're looking for those heavenly treasures, if we're looking for uh, how, can, how can I even use earthly things to bring about heavenly reward, then our eye is good and our body is going to be filled with light. Um, but if our eye is evil, we're going to be just full of darkness. The message puts uh, this verse this way. It says, your eyes are windows into your body. If you open your eyes wide in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. If you pull the blinds on your windows, what a dark life uh, you will have. Then the second illustration is that no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And serve here could, could have been translated be a slave of. That's what the word literally meant. And so Jesus is saying, you know, you, you can have two employers, but you can't have two owners. Right? And in Jesus' day, that, that, this illustration, we talk about slavery in our day, it's kind of like, um, he's trying to think historically. But in Jesus' day, it was really clear. In fact, some people probably chuckled. You cannot have two uh, masters. Because some of the people listening to Jesus were slaves. And some of the people in the audience were slave owners. Of course you can't have two masters. That's a silly idea. But Jesus is taking that <clears throat> cultural application that everybody in the room was familiar with and, and, and applying it to a timeless issue. And he's saying, just like a slave can't have two masters, you can't have... Uh, two masters, and the two masters that are competing for your loyalty are God and Mammon. And Mammon is simply possessions or treasures. And in the Aramaic, which is the language of the common people in Jesus' day, it actually meant confidence because people put their confidence in their stuff. All right, so Jesus boils down this uh, very important uh, uh, issue, uh, really something that's center to humanity's struggle, uh, into one simple sentence that there's a direct competition. You can't serve God, you can't be a servant of God and mammon. There's a direct 
competition between God and our possessions. Either one or the other will win our loyalty. Alright? You'll love one, and in comparison, you'll hate the other. And that's just what the description of loyalty means. That you're committed to one, and in the other one, uh, you won't be as committed to. <clears throat> and Jesus is challenging that in our lives. Do you own your possessions, or do they own you? Mm-hmm. Right? Do you spend more time and energy serving earthly things, or heavenly do you spend more time and energy uh, in uh, making sure there's enough mass in your heavenly account or your earthly account? Do you see with good eyes everything earthly from a heavenly point of view? So even the stuff that you do have, are you thinking, um, how does that fit in uh, to a heavenly mindset? How can, how can my stuff... Uh, the stuff of this world be used to enable the kingdom of God to come and His will to be done on earth. That's having a kingdom uh, uh, perspective on materialism. You know, some people teach that material things are evil. And the Bible doesn't teach that. Alright? Jesus isn't teaching that it's evil. He's just saying, don't put your loyalty in your stuff. Have your loyalty to God and see the stuff as objects, things that you can use to demonstrate that loyalty to God. And I'm just going to end with this. <clears throat> and uh, Jesus doesn't mention tithing here. But I guarantee you, everyone that was listening to Him knew and was thinking about that application. Because it was completely common. It was expected in, in the Jewish lifestyle. And the nation that Jesus was speaking in was the, the, the practice of tithing. And in fact... <clears throat> I can't go into the whole lesson of tithing um, um, because I don't have time. I did a series on it uh, uh, last year. Tithing, though, is and tithing is giving 10% of your income to God. It says tithing is the antidote to materialism and consumerism. It really is. It is a powerful antidote. It, it protects your soul if you if you learn how to live a lifestyle of of Considering that uh, percentage holy unto God, it's like a vaccine that keeps your eye good and healthy and your body full of life. Uh, like I said, I did a series on it where I get into the, the understanding of it. And it's, it's one thing just to point out, uh, some people don't you know, have an issue of tithing in the New Testament versus the Old Testament. Old Testament giving actually was almost 25%. Because there were many other... Uh, required offerings that that were mandatory. The tithe was included in the Mosaic Law. It talks about it in the law, but it actually predates the law. In other words, before the law, uh, there was tithing was already practiced by the patriarchs, and it began with Abraham, right, as a as an act of establishing his relationship with Melchizedek, who was a a type of Jesus. In fact, it very likely could have been what's called a theophany, which is Jesus appearing in the flesh. We don't know if it was a real person, if it was just Jesus appearing. So, so again, it was. It it, it it isn't part of the law. Tithing it predates the law. It, it has continued from before the law, from the times of Abraham all the way up to the present, as uh, God's simple measure. Uh, and simple tasks for thousands of years to teach us uh, 
uh, and teach our hearts concerning our allegiance. Okay, it's just it's just a, a thing that God has used, and it's a powerful thing. And so the question is, if you can't set aside ten percent as holy unto God, how can you say you're not serving Mammon? You know. And, and I challenge you to, 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 to study Scripture and, and, and dig. If you haven't been convinced, you know, let the Word of God convince you. Uh, and, and talk to people who have learned how to live this as a lifestyle and hear their testimonies. Um, throughout Scripture, God gives us this uh, promise that if we give Him a proportion of what He gives us, He will return to us an exponential reward. You know, unlike uh, investments that you make with, in, uh, with earthly things, uh, God can give you an exponential return. All right, <clears throat> so Jesus uses um, uh, this issue of materialism really to talk about who's the master of our life, either God or stuff. Can we just pray real quickly? Father, I just pray in Jesus' name two things. One, Father, if people are struggling with financial need, you have compassion on their need. And you know their needs. And so, Lord, I pray that you would meet every one of their needs. That you would give them supernatural wisdom and insight and how to, how to, uh, to, to, to gain wealth. Lord, that comes from you. Promotion does not come from the east or the west, but from the Lord. Your word says that. And so I pray that people in this congregation are struggling for better jobs or to pay off loans, to get out of debt, Lord, that you would help them and bless them. But even more than that, Father, I pray that we would all increase and amass our reserve, a heavenly bank account, revenue from heaven that's accessible 24-7, that whenever we need something in the Spirit, that we have more than enough, not only to meet our needs, but to meet the needs of those around us. In Jesus' name, everyone said? Amen. Amen. All right. Adam's got some uh, announcements. Uh, Aaron, sorry. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Pastor Cameron. Great work.